equal spin The propagandas win Stress feeding on my attention My countrymen, they love their fiction Words are now This made with good intentions Welcome to 1 of 200 We've got a midweek podcast for you And we've got a couple of fantastic guests To talk about the New Zealand media industry I'm joined by Mark Kuby and Jeremy Rose. Welcome to the podcast, folks. Kia ora. Kia ora. Uh, I'm just going to immediately hand it over to you, Mark. Uh, give, uh, give us your rundown. Who are you uh, for members of our audience who might never come across you before? Um, and what's your experience in this industry? I was lucky enough to come into um, media, I guess, when uh, uh, you didn't need to have gone to a school or a university Although, curiously enough, um, I did go to a university. I ended up wandering into Salient at Victoria University of Wellington and um, the, uh, a little way into my second year or second second run around at trying to um, get a degree and kind of never looked back. So everything I've had from from that on, I started with, with that uh, weekly newspaper, uh, went to NBR, then The Listener, um, at the same time, I was doing stuff with Radioactive, uh, the foremost student station um, progressive music outlet down here, which is amazingly still in operation, and um, taking in a little bit of RNZ on the way in a cadetship, and gosh, um, been in and around pretty much everything except for... TV, although I have appeared on TV, but not really in a in a journalistic capacity. So, I was always um, in a position to be in charge of things as a as an editor or a publisher, or a commentator or a producer, uh, reasonably free range and own control at stuff, which sounds like a good thing, but um, often turned out to be not such a good thing. And I have known Jeremy. Uh, since we were both quite small uh, children, and our paths have have intersected at many um, many instances along the way. Jeremy, can you perhaps expand on that? Yeah, so I did do a journalism program in 1986. I went through the Wellington Polytech, and um, that was I had had a long term interest in journalism, but I was really just wanting to get a a qualification in the shortest possible time. Um, I didn't want to go, go to university at that point. And then I went and worked in Hawke's Bay on a daily paper up there called the Hawke's Bay Herald Tribune, which doesn't exist. And there used to be at that point, there were two daily papers. Every council meeting, no matter how small, had two or three reporters covering it. Radio New Zealand, The Telegraph, uh, Hawke's Bay Herald Tribune, often The Dominion. Um, so there was far, far more coverage. And that's where I kind of got my training. From there, I went overseas for a bit, went to China, came back, actually ran a journalism program for the unemployment union that was a kind of feeder program. And from that, we I met uh, Simon Collins, a, a great reporter from the New Zealand Herald, and he was keen on setting up a newspaper. And I'd been actually in talks with Nick Bollinger and another mutual friend about possibly setting up a newspaper uh, for kids, our one. But when I met Simon, we I got kind of swept up in that and swept up a whole lot of other people, including Mark. And we set up City Voice newspaper, which ran for forgotten how many years. But it was 
a little alternative paper that was proudly left wing. Also, I think, you know, believed in quality journalism and balance and fairness, probably not what people call objectivity, which the the media used to often claim that they were kind of some entirely impartial group. Simon and I, I were both, and Mark, I think we were all honest that, that we we had political views. We were on the spectrum and we tended to be on the left of the spectrum. Um, it was a worker cooperative. From there, I went a very short time in, in union publications when my first kid was born. And then uh, again, taught journalism at Fitirea Polytech and uh, volunteer service abroad I did from Wellington, but travelled a lot for them. Worked for Consumer Magazine, went overseas again, came back and and got a job at Radio New Zealand. First with um, Radio New Zealand International, as it was known then, now Radio NZ Pacific, which I thought was a bastion of great news values. I actually thought it was had far more solid news values than anywhere else in the New Zealand media. You know, there's no kind of tabloid stuff, no clickbait, just really decent, important journalism. And then... Um, I bumped into Colin Peacock in the corridor one day and said, you know, did you get anyone for the um, Media Watch job? And he said, no, why don't you apply? So so I did and got that job and ended up doing about 10 years on Media Watch, I think. Um, and that was part-time. And the rest of the time I did a program called Ideas where I had, um, a bit like Mark said, I had a huge amount of freedom to explore things that I thought was important. Um, my basic metric on that was to say I wanted things that weren't in the news that should be, and I wanted to hear from people that you hadn't heard from before. So kind of to balance what I thought the um, that we usually had a certain type of guest and a certain type of topic, and I it thought I could add some balance to that. So, yeah, that's um, – and then I left there in 2019, I think, and spent um, <clears throat> the – last couple of years I've been doing climate coverage for Carbon News, a, a kind of um, paid for newsletter, daily newsletter on the carbon markets. And I've just recently stopped doing that, got got sick of that, and I'm kind of in between now. Yeah. Fantastic. That kind of storied history from both of you, uh, just a number of different nodes you've touched uh, along the way uh, while working in the media. Um, and some of those reflections almost seem at odds with the way that people approach the media, um, whether as, as consumers or um, media uh, producers uh, in the current state, um, in my opinion. You hear less and less people being willing to be upfront about their political biases, uh, for example. I, that's something that I've always really struggled with. They've gone back to this kind of objectivity frame uh, where you know we're just reporting uh, what's being said, what and I guess this is probably the first kind of conversation starter is what changed there? You know, we hear a lot of discussion about the lack of resourcing, the underfunding, uh, the something that's often brought up is like the shift to video uh, and the need to lean on clickbait and other marketing mechanisms to drive funding, uh, which all have this outsized impact on newsmaking. Where do you think the the branches have split? 
I'll make a couple of comments, but you know, one is that I actually don't think things have got worse on the openness about having political ideas. There's always been this idea that to be left-wing, which is usually what people accuse the media of, or to be right-wing, so to be a socialist or libertarian, is somehow, a right-wing libertarian that is, is somehow more political than being a centrist. And as far as I'm concerned, none of those things is more political than the other. And so if you want to know whether a journalist is good, you you want to be sure that they are honest, that they are balanced, and that they're fair. You don't want to believe that they are absolutely centrist, which in a, a moving climate basically means they're wishy-washy. Um, it could, you know, it could mean that they take everything into account and come to a, a reasonable, balanced position. But personally, I don't trust someone who's a, a, a centrist. I mean, I think they're usually ambitious political and you know i can't see why i would change my identity as a socialist which if anyone had ever asked me throughout my life from probably about the age of 12 i would have said yes i'm a socialist and that the meaning of that has probably changed at times but but i'm committed to the idea of true democracy and and so on so i think actually social media has helped liberate journalists to an extent, by it becoming obvious that they do have opinions. But I do think there's a real fear of being seen as left-wing or pigeonholed, and because there is this kind of, um, I think, pretty much incorrect view that places like Radio New Zealand are all left-wing. Now, the fact is they're all workers of a particular income type, so they will skew towards the left a bit, and they also tend to be university educated and will be liberal on social issues. So, you know, it's probably fair to say that there is a, a bias of people in this extent that I hope there'd be less racist people, for example, on Radio New Zealand than the, than the general public, less homophobic people. So in that sense, there's a liberal bias. But otherwise, I, you know, that that's about it. But Mark, I'll let you, because I could go on, but I'll let you jump in. Yeah, I was thinking um, leading up to this, what you know, what what has changed, what has stayed the same. And my earliest memory of consuming media, apart from having um, listened with mother on um, on the radio in the mornings on the national program as a, as a child, was um, looking at the at the evening paper, which we used to have delivered, the Evening Post, and the whole of the front page was classified ads. All right, so the whole of the front page was for ads and. Here we are, not every day, but um, you know, five times, uh, maybe five out of seven, four out of four out of seven. Um, the front page is a Harvey Norman ad now, and so <laughs> you know, no, we've 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 come kind of full circle um, back back when you know the front page was. Oh no, that was sacrosanct. We mu- we must leave that alone. And just thinking about how newspapers have somehow managed to to hang on. Magazines are still here. Radio is is still so powerful, both in in the sense of um, credibility of Radio New Zealand, albeit diminished, um, but also the power of the 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 commercial music stations and and News Talk ZB. Although you you do keep, I do keep wondering when it's all just going to fall over the edge of a cliff, um, and the disruption of of television. But what gets me is that it's 
the choices are be, that are being made are still the same choices, and it's not so much to put in as is what gets left out, which you alluded to, I think, there, Jeremy. And 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 I love that thing that you know they always say at the end of a end of a, end of checkpoints. Well, not always, but quite often they say at the end. Well, that's all we've got time for. No, that's all you have chosen. That's you had the same time all the time. You got ninety minutes when it used to be two hours of hard news under Mary Wilson, and now you got ninety minutes where most of the last quarter hours just trivial bits pulled off overseas feeds because they got nice pictures or easy audio and and don't have to do you don't have to do too much work. So every day the same choices are being made about who to not let on. As um, I, I think we we alluded to before we we started broadcasting here, and um, the the people who just never you never seem to see them getting access, and the only real real workers. I mean, I, I think there are in the media there are the 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 worker drones. And then there are the the high, much more highly paid executives and and top talent and all those people who are who are really in a different league. And I and I I've probably got some more to say about that later on. But we don't hear from I don't know the real people, um, the voices of of people who don't necessarily have access to to um, as pundits or columnists, unless they're involved in a disaster or a COVID or it's some idiot vox pop thing where they're meant to um, give analysis on an issue of the day when they couldn't really give a give a fuck about it. So yeah, I I I, I agree with you, Jeremy. I think I think the social media has really liberated voices that were would never would never have got a shoe in um, under the existing uh, systems. And again, um, I've got a fairly tightly curated Twitter, but. There's amazing voices on there, and I've learned so much. and And it is my that is my newspaper. I still get the the Dominion Post once a week um, on a Saturday because it's got quite a good puzzle section, and there's usually a, um, a a few good articles, and and it's good just to have something to screw up and put in the put in your shoes if they get wet, or um, have have on hand for you know the hard times when we have to go on the streets and put newspapers into our clothing like uh, they did in the Depression, which is, I'm sure, not too far around the corner um, after the fake recession that seems to have been engineered by the Reserve Bank right now. But... Yeah, I, I just see. I think it's it's more democratic. The 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 access is easier. You couldn't. There wasn't. You. I just remember when I I start, I came into RNZ, um, second time round, um, on a full time basis after uh, shortly after Jeremy. Well, maybe a couple of years after you started there, yeah, and um, on a one year secondment to produce Kim Hill and. Which turned into a, a ten-year, um, uh, uh, not a sentence. What's the term? A, a, <laughs> a revelation. A ten-year revelation. And um, it, I, it, back then, you got letters from the public. They were letters. They arrived on a Tuesday in little envelopes with spidery handwriting, mainly by old people. And um, then maybe a couple of years later, suddenly it was all email. And it's never looked back. And those were the days when if you read something on air, you would have a letter and it would have a name and address and a phone number that you could ring up to check that this was a real person and you could kind of tell because it was handwriting. Now it's like 
oh, unknown texter from whatever is going to mouth off at the government and we'll just present it as an, a, a realistic view. Um, and this a is a normal real person. Uh, yeah, or it's, this is all over the show. So I think access is easier. Getting access to whoever you want is so much easier. You know, you can find people anywhere in the world now to to provide provide. I will, I will jump in on the yeah. access thing because I think you're right on one level, but but possibly wrong on another. If you if you look at the guest list on something like the panel, it's not my favorite favorite show. I'd have to say, but you know, when was the last time you heard a nurse or a builder or a plumber? They are professional pundits. Kind of, they speak very articulate gibberish most of the time. It it it's you know it fills a gap. It's so it's supposed to be entertaining, but the the guest who actually knows something is always held to the very end to fill in. And so many of those people, like the columnists in our newspapers, it's unbelievable. Are paid propagandists. You know, they are people whose job is to be lobbyists, to do media work. If you look in the Dominion Post, which I do have delivered because I want to support local journalism, you literally have Chris Farfoy, possibly the worst columnist I've ever read, given a column within weeks of leaving Parliament, and you learn nothing. I mean, he tells you nothing. It's it's extraordinary that they'd give him a column and not, you know, I'd give it to someone from the Meatworks. You'd actually learn something. Instead, you, I mean, he, he should be a good columnist. He's a former journalist with incredible access to government in the past. So, you know, pursue, you know you'd think heaps of background knowledge. He's just one of a, I mean, I think there's about a dozen of their columnists are actually, you know, PR people. To me, well, that's yeah, exactly. With with your Cormac and your and your um, Neil Jones and all that mob, you ben know, Thomas. your Ben Thomas, um, your Hooten. I mean, and, and again, it, it, looking back, there was a time when the segment on Catherine Ryan, the politics segment on Catherine Ryan, eleven a.m. on a, on a Monday, from the left and from the right, and you'd have um, Matthew Hooten, who was very definitely from the right. And you'd have Andrew Campbell back um, in his green days, who was very definitely from the left and that they were, they were push, pushing the envelope outwards. Now it's like a race again, as you said before, Jeremy, with the centrist, it's a race to the center is how, how, how much you can be, oh, well, this, this side and that side and equivocate and so forth. It's- well, they, they just don't, to me, they're political players. I mean, it's a very popular slot. So maybe they've got the formula right. But they are people who are part of the game. So I never hear, because if you actually talk to left-wing people, the best criticisms, I think, of the Labour Party, of the Green Party, they come from left-wing people. But you don't hear those criticisms on radio in those types of things. You know, they're parts of the team. You're the left team, the right team. I often can't tell the difference when you look at their policies, you know, they're kind of fairly, I mean, I, I fear there might be a, a, a much bigger difference coming up because the right is moving progressively further right. Um, and we, so there is actually a gap growing. But usually, I mean, Labour and National for the last few years have been not very far apart, really, despite what their supporters would say this is just brings up like a, a really interesting point and this is one of the things i have to get some kind of answer on in terms of how things have changed in, in terms of what's being presented in terms of who's uh getting access to a platform i, I think 
when I first started doing independent media, which is maybe about 15 years ago now, we started with a, a different podcast than this one. And the whole premise was just to go and talk to academics um, who are doing weird stuff and just say, hey, talk to us for an hour and a half about what you're studying right now, what you're doing, um, and we'll put it on the internet. Uh, and we had, I think we had Susie Wiles on back then before you know everything that's happened. Uh, and we just had a really good chat. We had uh, another uh, guy who's from uh, New Zealand Agriculture. Uh, we had people from the philosophy department. Uh, all these people who just had like these very niche areas of expertise. And then when we restarted with one of 200, that was something that was in the very forefront of our minds. Where are all these people who we know have incredible expertise, especially on the left? Uh, you know, we're a uh, unashamedly left-wing podcast. Where where are these people's voices? If they, you know, we might see an opinion column from uh, one of our guests once every two years um, show up in mainstream media. And these will be some of the most radical and interesting uh, people speaking about housing, you know, or, or about health. And instead of looking to these areas of expertise, you know, people who are maybe not comms professionals, uh, or aren't as trained and primed to to be in a radio interview or, or what have you. You've had this slow, I, I think slow, uh, shift to people who just kind of understand things um, as a as a concept or as a or, or perceive things perhaps as a as a better way to describe it, and are asked to wryly articulate. Uh, what they think is happening, as opposed to people who are right there uh, at the coalface and able to give up-to-date information at you know at worst uh, and a deep dive at best. What I think, what shifted? I think, we've, I think we've seen the platforming of journalism and pundits over of, of, of journalists and pundits over expertise often. So that that's one thing I do think has happened. Um, so there's a lot of kind of, and it's it's about making it fun and sparky. You know, sometimes the experts can seem a bit boring and have lots of hands and you know see the see a lot of grey and be complicated. So they like that. Uh, my feeling is that we we have you know the, uh, an example. Sorry, I'll start that again. But if you look at say economics, you know, for every left wing economist, Craig Rennie, you will have five or ten business economists being and and it's so you wouldn't know barely know that people like Jeff Bertram and there'll be a whole lot of younger ones that I don't know who just don't get reported so the we get this incredible narrow range of economists but Mark will confirm when you put a heterodox economist on to radio like Steve Keane or Bill Mitchell or um the donut woman Who's named Kate Rawls? Isn't it? Kate Rose, um, yeah. They are always among the most popular audio for the week. There's an incredible hunger for alternative economic ideas, and they simply don't get reported. They're not part of the conversation. Um, where the bank economists are always quoted. Um, you know, it's not quite true, I suppose, with um, Shamabel is out there. So there's the odd one um, who's kind of independent. Um, but there'd be very few, I think. I think if you compared the number of New Zealanders who support public ownership, 
support more worker representation on boards, all of that kind of thing. And then the economists who support that, you'd find there's, they, they're simply unrepresented. They don't, that, that voice is not heard. Where in somewhere like public health, you do actually hear from experts in public health who probably on the economic spectrum do tend to be more left-wing if you're going to use that as a spectrum. They believe in public, obviously they believe in public investment and so on, the public health people. Um, but for some reason, the economics, I think, is really dominated by right-wing thing, which I don't think is necessarily where the public is at. Is that a status quo like the centre got captured uh, situation post the 1980s? So, and it's just ideological, like this is what truth is. This is, and and that's what we accept. And so anyone who's outside that is uh, to kind of give side eye to, because we're not, we can't confirm it. I think that's right. One thing that does surprise me though, is that at the speed at which truth just gets overturned. So we have this concept of friendshoring now. So basically the US is returning to being a very closed society. And you, you're not hearing much from the right-wing economists about the importance of um, of free markets and everything. I mean, America's taking so many moves which are anti the free market, which if anybody else was doing it, we'd be hearing so much about it, you know, that you can't import all, all of those subsidies for green cars, for example. Well, that's the and, other. I guess. Only for cars without Chinese batteries. I mean, it's straight protectionism. That's the other space in which this is very, very present right is the geopolitics um you'd get very few people who were heterodox uh, about how they viewed um great power relations uh in new zealand media um as a as a talking head at the moment i would argue i think that's well, right and I, I think that that recent rnz controversy actually highlighted that there was an article which I think the guys Mike Hall is their journalist in, in question, and they highlighted an article that he had written quoting uh, Mike Smith and Matt Robson as it should have been a red flag. And I went back and looked at that story, and you know those are two very establishment, former cabinet minister, former senior Labour Party person, and that article was balancing what had been in the rest of the media. I mean, it was it. It was actually, I think, a good article to balance all of the pro-Ukraine, anti-Russian stuff. In the article, Matt Robson even stated that if you put those types of views forward, you'll find yourself called pro-Russian. And he made a point of saying that wasn't his case. So I, I kind of think, you know, there is a received wisdom which is very easy to get away with. And then if somebody oversteps the line, it's seen as problematic. Um, that's not to say, you know, just I'll just stress that I think editing um, agency copy <laughs> is with, in the way he did wasn't acceptable. But that debate kind of got, you know, yeah, a bit of course, I thought, with that. You know, I mean, I, 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 I reread the article today, which they then went and added balance. They said that it needed to be balanced. They put Paul Buchanan in. And I had the thought, how many other articles did they think needed balancing? where they'd go to Matt Robson or Mike Smith to balance them, you know, because surely if that one needed balancing, there's been others that needed balancing in, in the opposite direction. 
and that that's I don't think would ever occur to them. I, I absolutely not. And 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 it's like, yeah, let's get some balance in there. Let's get um, some. Hospo owner who's complaining about things not being as good as they were in the central city and probably and definitely owns, you know, three or four or maybe eight or ten um, uh, establishments and never talk to the people who work in those establishments who uh, end up, oh, shit, the bar went down and we're not getting any of our pay. Um, I mean, those people just don't get shut out of it. I read that um, RNZ piece um Again, uh, as well, Jeremy, after you pointed me to it, and um, ah, there's also the thing: things are sloppy, right? Um, the 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 fact that that slipped through is one thing, but I'm kind of a proofreader, anal nerd. So when I see NATO not in all caps and General Secretary for General Secretary of of, of the Labour Party with a hyphen and not using a proper apostrophes or quote marks, but just those little dashes in there. And um, the best one was um, a, a thing there, where discussions were held. So that there's, they use W-H-E-R-E uh, twice in the sentence um, incorrectly. And just, just there's lots of sloppy everywhere in headlines and copy and – so, so there's maybe the the, the narrative about excluding uh, left wing voices or whatever, but I also think that people are just crazy, crazy busy in this twenty four seven news cycle, desperate to get fresh stuff, fresh stuff up there all the time, and and it's crushing. And obviously, as we have discovered, or some of us kind of knew beforehand the the digital news section of of rnz is is quite separate from the uh, broadcast newsroom and one one doesn't know but one would perhaps has to guess that, that this is possible in other parts of the media landscape tvnz uh, maybe stuff for the herald um although you kind of hope not I don't know if either of you listen to Duncan Greaves' um, podcast, The Fold, his his media one, but he um, he he had a couple of interesting things to say along along this line and how um, it's yeah that just the the cycle and the 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 amount of of stories that ONZ are throwing up every day is huge compared to some of its rivals, and and I think if you're doing that, you you you're going to inevitably see mistakes um the 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 curse of trying to be first instead of best is is really damaging everybody um and the, the it's letting the 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 cunning or worse players in the political sphere like the astonishing david seymour who just seems to be He's there all the time. And obviously, he's got a team that will crack in and produce an opinion uh, uh, piece on whatever issue uh, comes comes to the fore in easy, bite-sized, digestible chunks. And I think that um, that's what's happening with a lot of stuff. It's just the the, the I'm, I'm sure I've heard it on 1 and 200 before, the, the media – uh, rooms are much much smaller than the the, the governmental comms rooms. You know, they're, they're, it's a it's a hard battle to run. And as um, and as anyone who's visited um, the the website of of Scoop, which Jeremy and I also have a, a, a sort of friendly association with, 
if you go on Scoop, who run basically press releases from everywhere, uh, you can see how press releases just pretty much make it into the news un- unchanged with, 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 with a, without a headline change. And, and in fact, I, I discovered this with sport yesterday. I was, I was looking, I, I had chanced upon the result of a, a, a rugby game. And then I checked the Super Rugby site, and oh my gosh! That, that, oh, so that's where the story came from—that was in the mainstream media and uncredited that, as being. It just, has been like that. It's been like that for time. a while. It's been like that for a while. When I was yeah. teaching journalism, it was the early days of Scoop, and I came up with what I thought was a very clever idea. I'd give the students the press release, get them to write the story, and then show them the actual press release, and I'd say to them, "Look, you know." Tell me who you want to ring up, how you're going to follow the story up, and we'll turn it into, you know, so you'll learn what to do when you get a press release, how you're going to balance it. And then I'd show them what was actually in the paper. And on, I think, the first occasion we did it, it was a press release with the journalist byline on it, and it hadn't been changed at all. And that's, you know, 20 years ago now, so things weren't great. I was interested when you talked about the... um, the lack of hospitality workers being interviewed because recently there's been an exception to that and it's quite revealing i think you know so the the strippers who have had a dispute huge amounts of publicity and um we all know why you know it's because it's literally sexy um but it's great to see a, a, an industrial dispute on the front pages being covered everywhere but it really highlights how you don't see that very often. I mean, there was the exception recently with the um, John Campbell did the uh, was the Uber drivers, I think, yeah, which was really good. But but yeah, I thought it was fascinating. Watch, you know, seeing just how that, that stripper story takes off, and suddenly you have an industrial story, and it's really important. But you know, if it was the dustman, maybe maybe dustman would get covered because people's rubbish not being picked up is quite a big deal. But um, you know. We, we used to have, when I was talking about reporters, Hawke's Bay Herald Tribune had two industrial reporters. So in Hawke's Bay back in the day, there would have been five or six people covering the union movement. Um, you know, it's inconceivable now. I don't think Radio New Zealand has an industrial reporter. Well, you were saying earlier as well, Jeremy, that you know there used to be several reporters covering council meetings uh, down in Hawke's Bay. This is just entirely a an issue with how the system has developed over the last X number of years then? Just slowly funding has been pulled out. You know, there's, there's too much information now. You know, we have this a lot. There's there's so much stuff coming in. There's this need to be a 24-7 uh, news outlet um, if you're going to stay ahead of your competitors. And can people just not ke- keep up or or have have resources actually been actively taken out alongside that? It's, it's the old rivers of gold. They were very well resourced because of advertising. Um, so you know, there was a lot more money. There was a lot more journalists. So that's part of it. On the other hand, and you can cover council meetings from your desktop now. You know, you can zoom in. I thought it was really interesting. Suddenly there was a focus on the health and the fact that journalists weren't going to be allowed to attend the meetings. And that got quite a lot of publicity because they suddenly thought they're taking something away from us. They abolished the DHBs with no talk about what the democratic input was going to be. Now, I wasn't a great fan of DHBs. I felt that they were a popularity contest. 
people voted for the only name they'd heard. They tended to be captured by a certain type of person. I was desperate to hear about how they were going to make our health system, publicly owned health system, more democratic. How the nurses, the doctors, the patients, the orderlies were going to have some input into decisions that they know a lot about. That was never done. The only concern was that we can't sit in a meeting. I mean, there's a very low level of interest in democracy in this country, I think. It's amazing. And I, I just want to loop back to something before I forget it about the, um, about the, again, the choices that are made and, and the, the assumptions that are made that, that things must be this way. When I, again, one of the, one of the, crazy suggestions I tried to get through when I was producing um, Saturday morning with Kim Hill was to say, look, uh, on most weekends, you've got a skeleton news staff at RNZ, and unless it's, uh, you know, Fukushima or or worse, you know, and then we did get those, um, not a lot happens, you know, and, and sometimes the, the bulletin would be the same every hour. How about we don't? We, how about we just get rid of one of the bulletins uh, on the hour, maybe the nine o'clock or the ten o'clock? That would just let us be able to go really freeform and have great long interviews that could maybe last two hours instead of you know just 50, 50 minutes to accommodate the news. And, and it was you know the jaw. Everyone's go. You're not serious. I said, well, I kind of am, but that is not acceptable. Um, and I got – I'm on this thing called Media Matters, which I don't know if either of you have heard of. It's it's a survey company that they surveyed TV and radio and newspaper and stuff. And um, the most recent one I did, they were surveying the business news and morning report. And everything in that questionnaire was um, – and it was reasonably extensive and obviously tailored to try and make you answer a certain way to, to boost their thinking. Um, so I tried to – Buck that, but there weren't any. Then there was room to comment, and so I made the comments that it's that the format is wrong. We don't hear from the 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 people who don't own stocks and shares, which is most of the population. We, we why do we always get told the price of gold several times a day when when that gold is owned by zero point five percent of the population, and presumably those with gold have ways of keeping track of its value. And the the fact that that, that whole business use, as, as you alluded to earlier, Jeremy, and it's it's Cameron Bagri and and bank economists and business leaders and and chamber of commerce and people who who have lots of money and lots of power and a vested interest in things maintaining the the even keel on the on the on the ocean of chaos and the it, it's just like there used to be a thing i think i'm right here there used to be faith for the day didn't there on the radio faith for the day and it would be like a little homily of christian thought you know good good to you know it'd be good to get a bit of that out you know um, love thy neighbor and you know show the other cheek and all this sort of stuff would maybe maybe they should have that bring that one back but um there was not much islamic or or jewish or any other uh, cultural expression in there but the the thing when they run down the markets this has gone up this has gone down it's just kind of like faith for the day it's just like business will keep going we will be safe and you know that's that's just one element of how the news has to be at 6 30 it must be this long there must be ads there must be sports there must always be sports um even when there's not enough interesting New Zealand sport to fill the the segment. We'll we'll find something about 
some um, Hong Kong ping pong or whatever to, to fill that gap. So there's just so much that is just there because it's there because it's there. And you think that so much has moved on in terms of news gathering and, and the way that it's disseminated, particularly, I'm, I'm just thinking of the people who have never experienced a Twitter thread of, you know, 50 50 long threaded Twitter. You know, people don't understand how this news can work and how you actually are getting the news right now, not waiting till the next hour or the next day. One, Sorry, that one was thing just that's got good. me recently is the cost of living crisis, you know, because I, I look at it and I think, yes, I notice that the prices are going up in the supermarket, but there is no cost of living crisis for me. And a lot of people are far, far better off than I am. And the reporting doesn't really differentiate. So there's a whole lot of people who have been on the bones of their ass, have been living in a crisis probably since the mother of all budgets. And the crisis is unbearable. And then there's people who might have changed from drinking a Chardonnay to a cheaper Chardonnay. And to say this is all a cost of living crisis is just kind of dishonest. And stats, I mean, to their credit, stats have started reporting inflation by different demographics and that will show that poor people i think actually recently it may have gone up slightly more in rich people but usually it's just gone up you know poor person inflation is much higher than than rich people inflation and i mean you talked before mark about the the kind of group of the managers getting paid more and more i was a union delegate at rnz and i remember looking through the um, the old annual reports, and over maybe ten or twenty years, the managers had gone up in leaps and bounds. Every wage round, every year, their wages went up more than wage inflation. The Reserve Bank has a very good calculator. If anyone wants to look at it, where you can look at wage inflation, so the the, the how much wages have gone up. Radio New Zealand's journalists had been below wage inflation for about 10 or 15 years when I was there. The managers, which had also proliferated, there's more of them, and they, their salaries had just gone through the roof. And, you know, if there's, I doubt whether any of the managers listen to this, and and if you do, I'm, you know, no disrespect. But the, the fact is that a, a manager can go away, like some of them did, for two weeks, a month or more, and not need a replacement. Now, there's nobody else. You know, the further down the chain you go, the more dramatic it becomes that if that person goes away, they've got a real problem. You know, you need those journalists, you need the cleaners, you need all these other people. But the managers, you really don't need them. And they get paid these huge salaries. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, it's always so great when they're not there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's just much better. Hey, um, yeah, I... I, I the thing I, I think, what the reason we talk, we talk so much about RNZ is that we both really love it as as a as a thing, and um, it's just it, it is kind of depressing that things aren't really a hell of a lot better. And I know that that the the pay inequity, as you've just mentioned, is is ridiculous, and that the 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 twenty five million or whatever it is still hasn't been pumped in there. But it's. It, it's never been about money, you know. I, th I think City Voice was really successful and and paid for in sweat and blood um, by by th those who 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 worked on it. But 
um, it was about if you've got good ideas, you've, 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 there's always ways around most things apart from the printing bill, which again, you know, we, we were just a little bit ahead of the curve with City Voice. I remember doing the the gossip column, the the City Litter, which is um, and putting earls like long earls in there in the hope that people would pick this up and go and and type it into their um, into their computer and and see the website that I've been talking about and. Um, because we didn't, yeah, we didn't have uh, an internet presence uh, early enough. And again, I've, I've remembered what I was going to quote um, Duncan about, Duncan Grieve on the fold, in that amazement that magazines didn't embrace the internet in a more integrated way really, really early on. And after City Voice, uh, I, after I left City Voice, I, I started with Mikey Tucker, um, a, a thing called Loop, which was a... a started off as a free, glossy um, kind of street culture fashion magazine in Wellington only, and then turned into a, 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 a paid-for magazine with a free CD on the cover. So except that people were probably buying it for the CD and the print was ancillary, but because you were going through uh, magazine stores, it had to be seen as a magazine. So again, you know, that these are the... In the early, um, very early years of the 21st century, this was this was how things worked. But we had a really cracker website, and I think if we hadn't um, been macabreized by the uh, vast amounts of money being spent and and the vast income not matching up to that, um, yeah, we would have been in a really good position to to advance that m- hybrid of of print and internet which i still think that everyone's struggling with a bit you know it's it's just seems it just seems insane that the the radio and radio new zealand don't have the one big newsroom with everything pumping through it but but i don't know it, um i'm watching this city TV boys show. actually city boys did have a website it was it's the first newspaper in new zealand that's uh, right. That's right. It was because yeah. there was an American guy, and and un- embarrassingly, I can't think of his name, who worked at Treasury, and he c- came and volunteered to put us on the web. We didn't really even know what the web was, barely knew. He put us on the web, and um, so we used to get letters from overseas. You know, people saying, "Can you trace down my auntie Myrtle or whatever?" Um, and a terrible footnote: he he actually died in the Twin Towers, but um. So yeah, they took so, him out. They took yeah, him out, Jeremy. Yeah. It was a conspiracy. But I'm just going to zip back to that story on RNZ because I think you know the fact that there are still mistakes. I spotted different mistakes from you in it. Tells you something about the culture at RNZ, and it's that I don't think I think I'm right in saying that the whole time I was there, I never got an email saying when you spot a mistake, let us know and we can fix it. Because, you know, we didn't have access to other stories, so we couldn't fix the mistakes. And so they they never did that. And it's, I think, similar for me with the, you know, you've got this amazing resource at RNZ. You've got great people. But how was it possible that you had a sub-editor who for five years was making changes and there was never a discussion about what's okay, what can you change in a wire agency story because you know you do change things i worked at nzpa for a a very short time and that was part of your job you you made it local you localize the stuff that um and so 
been a really interesting part of this story is that uh, after the initial kerfuffle around, you know, this being treasonous uh, disinfo that was pro-Kremlin, uh, the fallback argument has been around this, these process issues uh, and how permissible it is to edit the newswires. And yeah, I, I had a similar understanding, you know, this information is coming in and you, you localize it. So there is some level of editing happening. Potentially in this case, that's gone too far. I, I Until the investigation is over, we don't know what their process was on paper because the journalist himself has come and said, no one has told me that this was wrong. Um, like This has never been raised with me in five years that I've been doing this. Uh, and beyond that, you know, there's this this argument that it's going out under the Reuters uh, headline um, or, or byline, I should say. Um, and that's what the issue is. It's like uh, non-transparent uh, hidden changes. But a range of these stories had a shared byline of RNZ and Reuters, uh, which seems to suggest that they are being upfront about it, that that these changes have happened. I don't, I don't think, think for all was, of them, but... I don't think it was transparent what the changes were, where usually if you did that, if you were adding something right. in, it would it, it would make a point of saying, you know, RNZ asked so-and-so. So I, I, I do think it, that lack of transparency, making changes, if you were the reporter at Reuters and you heard that those had been changed, sure. you'd be furious, and I think rightly. No, it's an it's a interesting situation. As you say, you have to wonder exactly... Kind of, what's happening at a um at a systemic level that it's got to this point where this uh, and and you mentioned as well in terms of the sub editing mark where this doesn't seem to be time or capacity to bring this up to a standard which an audience might expect honestly i i think if they simply ask their journalists and not just the journalists all the readers at rnz to let them know when they spotted a small mistake those mistakes wouldn't be there um, I still do it sometimes like when I see a mistake. You know, I'm not like Mark. I make lots of mistakes in my own copy. When I see a, a mistake in someone's copy, I send them a note to say, oh, look, you know, this is wrong and you could fix it. And they, you know, they're always grateful, but we're never encouraged to. And there's very little discussion about what news is, why things, you know. So I used to talk to Walter Spiefel a lot, who is the editor of um, RNZ International. And he had worked at overseas public broadcasters and was always outraged at the lack of discussion about, and what you'd see, the, the lack of interest in the stories from RNZ Pacific is striking. I mean, they'll often have really good stories. That, yeah. it, it's got better recently, actually, I think, but they, they were never in the bulletins. And it's because there was no discussion, no kind of um, matrix of what makes something important from a New Zealand point of view. So you're far more likely to hear about Israel-Palestine than West Papua. Is there um, just a reliance on the news feeds from Reuters and AP? Is that that we're paying for these? Uh, it's we better partly use them. a reliance on that. It's partly the fact that they take their news values from those people. So in the 90s, Ramos Horta came to New Zealand. I was the only journalist in Wellington working for a community newspaper, City Voice, who interviewed him. He wasn't on Radio New Zealand. He wasn't in the Evening Post or the Dominion. Literally, he couldn't get an interview. A few years later, America decides that East Timor is a big issue. Suddenly, New Zealand journalists are flying to East Timor to report it. But he, he couldn't get an interview. 
I mean, he got the Nobel Prize, I think, a year or two after that. Not only couldn't he get an interview, he couldn't get an appointment with people in Parliament. And that's probably why he couldn't get an interview, because foreign affairs and the politicians didn't want to know. And I think the journalists probably took their cue from them. I don't know. Oh, no, absolutely. This happens all the time. And it's like the – sorry, I've just – yeah, I'll, I'll say that again. Um, this, this, it, it happens all the time, and it's – Again, it's that 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 American US UK lens that we work through. I mean, there, there used to be stuff coming through from Deutsche Welle. World World Watch would run at, at six forty five and have clips from all over. There, there was a real commitment to to international news that is is slipped away. And whether that's because those kind of uh, rats are, try, are, are harder to get hold of um, in terms of good audio or whatever for for radio or, or for television. There's just so much coming out of America too. There's so much coming out of the UK. One must presume there's quite a lot coming out of India, the world's most populous democracy, and 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 Australia, which we hardly, bizarrely, hear anything about unless it's um, uh, now that they've stopped changing prime ministers every five seconds, and there's no um, forest fires. But the 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 lack of curiosity about the world and how it is is just kind of extraordinary and and the the cycle just seems to move so fast like where's the ai stories this week the, the, well that was last that was two weeks ago we've 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 passed on for that and i and i do think that even within the newsrooms still that there is this there is this way of looking at the world that that really hasn't changed i mean the the, the classic joke is the um the the privilege the parliamentary privileges committee now, you can't say that. You've always got to say the powerful, the powerful uh, Parliamentary Privileges Committee because it's like you've got to have that adjective there. And the ridiculous beat-ups that we, we saw last week uh, uh, around the Apotiki, um Tangi, and more than once I heard there was a gang presence in the town. Unsurprisingly, local people come home and bring everybody to Tautoko, a leader with mana, depending on whatever mana you see in that, it's irrelevant. It's just people are going to come back into a, a small town that maybe doesn't have a lot of places to hide them. You know, everyone's pretty prominent. But the ga- and, and there was quite a lot of police there too. The police um, were really good on the radio. And then they said, yeah, we're just here because we need to be here. The gang presence was described as heavy. There was a heavy gang presence in the town. Now, I don't know. Whenever I see a whole lot of police around, I kind of feel that's quite a heavy. That's a heavy police presence. But you're never going to hear that. It's the the way that adjectives are used and and the news is framed is just constantly beating us down and just having more representation from from different sectors would be great. But it's it's an it's a cult it's a it's a cultural and and I think it's right to, to use yeah. the word lens. Um, yeah. One of the more re- revealing stories I did for Media Watch was when I reported that I think it was seven senior journalists had been flown to Hawaii to by the military, the American military, for a for a workshop, and only one article got written, and it was a, and only partially related, but they had a disclaimer at the bottom, disclosure, and mentioned that they'd been there, and to me that was incredible that. Not only that they accepted, um, 
and got flown there, but they didn't then write about it and let us know and tell us that they'd been there. So you have these senior journalists going to the US and being brief, and it is inconceivable that seven senior journalists would go to China, to Iran, to Russia, and not tell us and think it was okay. But but when I did that story, I don't remember getting any feedback from journalists saying, yeah, that that was dodgy. You know, you, you shouldn't take freebies. To, and so and it, there is this kind of um, exception for America. So many journalists go there, and, and I'm not against it, but they go there paid for by the American government. We don't really have that in other countries, and we would be very suspicious if they did. Um, so I think there is a, you know, a, we, in international news, we definitely take a very British, US, and like you say, Australia outlook. One of the refrains that we often hear uh, when we're talking about this kind of stuff in New Zealand media specifically is, uh, well, at least we don't have Murdoch um, in terms of, you know, the viciousness, um, the the clear biases uh, and, you know, just being able to see what uh, is attempted there and, and often successfully in the UK and the US. Uh, and those are held up um, as a, an exemplar of how good we are. But it feels like, and obviously, correct. Um, we we don't have that similar level of viciousness or that full lockdown on uh, particular aspects of our political reporting in particular. But it still feels like there's other problems here which are being elided by the con- kind of continual reference to that. And maybe there's some of this lens stuff around like how we uh, approach the US um, and perhaps the UK as well. Um, answer some of that question. And also internally, I think that the we've seen it with the with the teacher strike. You know, the, if, if, if all media are trying to find aggrieved parents who, for whatever reason, are worried about their kids not going to school and missing precious hours of NCEA, you know, stupid exam that's not, you know, when the whole the whole system of school is ridiculous. It's all wrong. No, no one's ever talking about this. Um, and but trying to find something that makes it, you know, the, the teachers are the problem. It's not the, no one's saying, government, what, are you trying to lose the election here and not, not, and just discarding all your labour values r- around education and, and class sizes and, and retaining good people? It's just baffling to me. And, and it, it, is it the, 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 the search to be first or, or to be bravest or to get the, you know, as I saw Russell Brown eloquently put it, um, clicks, clicks, Trump, um, don't, didn't want to say Trump, but had to, um, clicks, Trump, ethics, you know, clicks, Trump, ethics. Uh, if, you're, if you're getting the attention, if you're getting something that will earn you a dollar, then if you, your soul starts to um, seep away a bit. And, uh, and at a time now when, you know, we're, we're in an engineered recession by the Reserve Bank, though we can call it a recession, although a lot of people seem to be still making a hell of a lot of, a hell load of money. Um, and we're about to see possibly hundreds of university um, people, you know, university workers actually lose their jobs because of years of stupidity from vice chancellors and, and underfunding by government. Yeah, I think I think people are, are worried. They, 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 they know if they, they speak out, they'll get blackballed 
from the industry. They know that if they tell the truth, they, they, they'll find it hard to, to get work. They, they know if they're too strident about one thing or another, then they can be easily dismissed as a, a loon of, of whatever stripe. And obviously, in some cases, that's true. But yeah, I, I just... It, it comes down. It always comes down to the money, and I think that it, it, we don't need necessarily need to have the the, the Murdoch um, Empire um, putting the foot on the neck when everyone seems quite happy to to race race to the centre and and offer uh, do their level best to equ- to to le- level any discussion, even when. It's so obviously the case that climate change, COVID, whatever, one side is just right and the other is just ridiculous. So we really have that problem, particularly, I think, in the newspaper industry where the the, the, the trinity of retail goods, cars and houses are still, you know, there's re- those are the revenue streams, you know, newsable, the 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 snack friendly news for teenies with Emil Donovan and um, what's her face and sponsored by the BNZ so we're not going to get much analysis of 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 banking crimes on you, on that podcast. you mentioned the aggrieved teenagers I mean the parents and I, I kind of had to wonder whether there was any any kids were interviewed I mean it's interesting because of the a big move to try and get 16-year-olds voting, you'd think that they would be quoted in in the media about things that impacted on them, but I didn't see it if they were. You know, I haven't seen kids. I heard Morning Report, I think, had been contacted by um, kids at Wellington High in support of their teachers, but I didn't actually hear any. I think, you know, that great book, Manufacturing Consent, it was going to come up eventually. What's that? It was going yeah, to come yeah, no, up eventually. A- absolutely. And I think it, it does capture something, which is that you can have very lively debate in a very narrow range of things. And that it's not imposed on us. It is just kind of adopted that there's certain things that you talk about which are acceptable. And outside of that, they're kind of wacky. And it's quite narrow and people feel very passionately, but that it is very narrow what gets gets discussed, I think. Um, and and alternative ideas don't get much of a look in. Tonight, tonight, Chris on Chris versus Chris on Focus on Politics, brought to you by the TAB. We do horse race journalism <laughs> like nobody else. And that was our ad uh, sponsor. But it's it is interesting, and to look back around to um, something being said earlier around. The, the split between uh, management uh, and uh, the top-tier talent and the journalists and other workers uh, within the media industry because a lot of this really like, – stuff that you call much more biased against workers, um, against kind of maybe left economics or et cetera, does come from the talent rather than the reporters. So it will be uh, one of your breakfast hosts – um, or one of your Mike Hoskins. I think he basically just inhabits his own space at this point. I, I'm not sure we really have um, any other people in the media who are in that kind of role. Um, just saying the most outrageous things. I mean, it kind of this echolalia across the entirety of, of media where people are kind of saying it more and more lightly uh, until it filters down into the audience. 
Uh, and you'll have these fantastic investigative journalists doing documentaries, going out to um, out to location and doing these interviews, like going and talking to kids, going to talk to teachers. Um, John Campbell out in um, Hawke's Bay, like, you know, a few weeks ago, uh, talking to people affected by the flooding and the, the cyclone and all the disasters down there. But it doesn't make much of a dent in the in the overall miasma um, that's being created hour by hour by the the top talent of these media organizations, the role of which is to, as you say, drive engagement um, and and get a dollar a minute by pulling people to their to their websites or to their uh, TV channel uh, or to their radio station. How do how do we get past that? How, well, how is that fixable? Because the, I mean, it's not the, all left. It's not all right. Well, no, 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 you you wouldn't. I mean, John Campbell is top talent. Jack Tame is top talent. I'd, I'm not going to say they're left or right wing, but they're certainly not right wing jocks. So there is some. To me, you know, you've got public media that should be in the me in the middle, which is absolutely committed to balance and fairness, like all journalism should be. But you know, isn't crusading one way or the rest on the right-hand side, you have this, and you've got the media of capital, and so you've got the business media, you've got the popular media of capital, you know, talkback and everything else. And on the left-hand side, there is nothing. There is no Labour media. There used to be, you know, there was a Labour newspaper, and there could be, I think, something I've lobbied for for years with no success, is that the unions, the NGOs, the Greenpeaces, the democratic organisations, there's a whole lot of organisations in New Zealand which are owned by their members, and they all spend large amounts of money on their comms, on their propaganda. And I think that money could be better spent by them combining their their budgets and actually having a paper that was committed to the ideals of those organisations. So it would be environmentally committed it would be committed to labor rights it would do all of those things and, and believe in fairness and balance and you know so that's in my view what we desperately need a openly pro-worker pro-environment media that is driven by that and doesn't depend on car advertising i don't know how much of an impact that actually has but mark's right to point out that you know, stuff has made a huge effort on the climate. Really, to their credit, I think they've got a really good climate team. Yeah. But the paper is filled with, you know, take this overseas trip, buy this big car. It's, it's, there is a contradiction there. Um, and yeah. And, but within that, you know, you have newsroom doing fantastic mm-hmm. investigations, good quality journalism right across the media, you know, um, there are journalists who I think are doing fantastic work, but there is something missing. Yeah, I think yeah. this is the other flip side to that as well is that's not where the money goes to these fantastic journalists for, for the most part. Um, and you've got this trickle-up effect alongside, I, I would argue, and I, I guess I've posited this previously as well, that a lot of the media with the advent of um, you know Twitter and Facebook uh, a lot of people actively working in the media as reporters are basically treated as a contact center by their by their management and and by the industry in terms of having to field all criticism, all complaints, all of the the worst of their audience uh, for things they have absolutely no control over. 
uh, as regards the media as an industry. And so they're being crunched on both sides. If, if you're a, a journalist or reporter, I know I often I can be pretty aggressive um, and antagonistic when I'm critiquing uh, the media, uh, either on social media or on this podcast. But why are, why are they having to field this? Why, why are they the ones uh, out here having to fight for the media when they often know that these problems exist? They, they know that the model does not serve the news. They know it doesn't, um, that clickbait is not the best thing for their audience. But you've got this management uh, group who continue to make those decisions, cut people from the newsrooms, um, get rid of sub-editors, uh, chuck the money into video or whatever other um new thing that's being sold by the big platforms uh, and refuse to be accountable for it unless it's in very specific uh, situations. It's hard to say whether they refuse to. I mean, Paul Thompson is on Twitter. I think it's Striker Paul is his name. But people are going to, um, you know, most pundits aren't going to know that and they'll know the reporter's name and they'll criticise the reporter. I don't think Paul would mind if they got you know, if they tweeted him directly. So I don't think it's avoiding it, but it's part of the nature of who's in front, who's going to be criticised. And I suspect that there are quite a lot of good journalists who just simply don't go on Twitter and things because they don't want to engage. And, and you know, that that's more than fair enough. Um, I, I, yeah. Yeah, no, that, absolutely. And and what it has done, though, is, is allow others to come through and, and fill that space. And... I, you know, you look at you look around the the mediascape at the moment, and I think it's I think it's pretty. I mean, it'd be nice to have a bit more money in there, but it's it's really pretty healthy in terms of what's what's happening. I mean, the jury's still out on on the stuff post press um, Waikato Times, um, three different we- four four different websites uh, revenue model, but. Boy, if they can make that happen, that's fantastic. Um, Herald is, is a huge beast that's obviously rampagingly good. TVNZ is just going to keep on being TVNZ, and um, they've what they've done with TVNZ Plus in terms of making stuff available uh, on a um, you know a take it when you want it basis is is remarkably well done, I think. And yeah, it's it's I I. And I'd like to think that this, the, the, these recent is- issues, not just the, um, um, the the Mike Hall one, but a whole lot of stuff that's happened at Radio New Zealand over the past couple of years, is p- potentially with with New Income coming in, could be the impetus to take a long, hard look at, at what they've been doing and going, what are we here for? What what works? What doesn't? How, why are these shows still just doing the same thing that they were doing? 20 years ago, you know, but pretty much the same format, pretty much unchanged with the same people out front. Um, and when you've got something like Country Life, which I think just celebrated its 25th year, uh, that's one place where you hear voices mm. that you don't hear many other places. And the listenership for that is not rural, it's urban, because people want to know about other stuff. Um, the the Public Service Journalism Fund, get, getting money out to the regions. And one thing that I just wanted to um, mention, because we're we're not going to run out of time, we could go for hours but, um, <laughs> to put dinner beckons. And um, my, I hadn't mentioned my time doing the Wellington app, which um, is is one of a network, a loose network of of. Uh, news organisations throughout New Zealand started down south and 
basically all the paper uh, the the big papers pulled out of the big media pulled out of town and entrepreneurs saw a chance to do something online which was just local news with local ads and in certain places alexandra Nelson particularly, which I'll speak about in a moment, really successful. They bought it to Wellington. Wellington was too big and too small. Um, it, it was well, no, too too hard, I guess. Too much news to cover it properly. Um, me pumping out 10 stories a day, so I know what that pressure is like. It's hideous. And too many other advertising opportunities uh, to, to cater for, for the... Um, for the for the advertisers of Wellington who are sophisticated and choose wisely and, and across all all platforms including Google and Facebook but in a place like Nelson where the app um, franchise system back end whatever was bought by a company that already had a couple of um, magazines uh, newspapers I should say weekly newspapers they really made it hum so that's t uh tsm the uh, top south media they have got four newspapers two magazines the nelson app all the information generated by the same pool of 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 journalists and and purveyed through the different organizations the 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 or is, did i say it's two two newspapers and four magazines anyway one of the magazines is Grey power, grey power, and of course, Tasman and Marlborough have the highest um, population of grey power uh, members in the in the I country. Think, I think and the term is heavy, heavy with grey, heavy with grey. <laughs> I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna join grey power and get a, a patch on my back and go to a, a funeral. Um, but I just think that that's something that's really gone under the radar in terms of a a, a business model that is hyper local. You know, it's like. Um, Letter stole stolen from fruit shop level kind of kind of stuff, you know, and and lots of local sport and lots of local people. If you can do that through a print publication and a website that's updating you with push notifications if the road is closed, which is well, quite a useful thing. The ODT and the Wairarapa Times Age are examples of locally owned media exactly. still doing well. Exactly, and and you know you can. That that um, if print wasn't so ridiculously expensive, you you think that this would be a really useful thing for for everyone to be thinking of how they can, you know, you you the idea that the Herald can the the newspaper of record for the country can do a decent job reporting Auckland is fatuous because there's so many Aucklands, right? North Auckland is not. South Auckland is not east, is not west. They they are, to my mind, quite different um, places in in many ways because the populations are different, the people are different, and and no one's reflecting that. So, yeah, lots just there's opportunity there, and I and I think we're we're still in this transition period. Um, I think I said some optimism, Mark. I'm always opt- optimistic when I'm not completely negative um, <laughs> <laughs> um, all the polarities but um I, I, the, the the information is getting through it's like um you, you very few people are on twitter it's only the crazy media 
political junkies and, and and trolls and bots like you know that 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 live there now and but it's you know before christmas like oh musk has got it twitter is doomed it will go and and yeah it's kind of you know it's a bit more annoying but it's it, there's still a lot to glean from that and i'm like the town crier because a lot of my friends aren't on Twitter, but I just go and tell them all the stuff that I know, and <laughs> and they kind of believe me. So, <laughs> so you know, it, I I I still think we'd, it'd be good to have town criers, which just just wander around um, Queen Street or <laughs> Twitter or, or, to Key. No, with a bell, with a bell. <laughs> going, oh yes, oh yes. Uh, <clears throat> Christopher Luxon lies again. You know, yeah, and they could just have have fun doing that. How about you, Jeremy? Where do you see um, things currently sitting and, and maybe in the next little while? Yeah, I, I haven't really thought too much about what's likely to happen. I mean, I think stuff's really interesting. Um, it hasn't. I was excited, took out a sub to support them, particularly because of the promise that workers were going to be included in the ownership model. I think that's been watered down a bit. There's a, a really interesting newspaper called Old. Uh, La Diaria in um, Uruguay, which is is owned by the journalists and um, incredibly popular. It's the most popular paper there. So I think that's what I'd kind of hoped might happen. And I thought that we might see more change, more journalist-led change. I think you know, there's plenty of good work, but I haven't really seen, it feels, doesn't feel like, much has happened there. Um, I, you know, we, I like seeing the creation of places like the spin-off and newsroom. Newsroom in particular at the moment, I think, often has really good serious work, but it doesn't feel like it's, um, it feels a bit built way or something. I don't know how much that gets out to the general public. So I, I'd be interested. Yeah, I'd, I'm hoping there'll be uh media that that gives new ideas and and gets people excited who don't who aren't necessarily twitter type people or you know political animals indeed and and i just also wanted to shout out to the newsroom slash rnz venture the detail which i think does a remarkable job of doing you know five days a week um half hour packages that always often have some really interesting really stuff good. in them really good and and um and our dear old friend um well he's old enough so we can call him old um gordon campbell who's just you know that um in terms of his analysis and thought and perspective there is no one like him writing in new zealand no. still is there and 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 he's beavering on with his own little shop and doesn't get infant attention attention is he's probably going to be listening to this so hi gordon but you know he, 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 like a lot of kiwis he's not good at putting his hand up and say hey listen to me you know it, what what is it, the left wing do have that problem i think the right wing don't care just listen to me i will lie i will tell you silly things but listen to me um so Gordon writes at werewolf.co.nz and you should read everything he does, really, I think. And I mean, it's like just a, a fact if you want political analysis in this country. Um, it's, yeah, it's something you have to be reading. Yeah, and and I, I just, you know, good. Uh, we all felt sorry for the, the 
people at Today FM when they lost their lost their jobs because they disestablished the radio station, and I'm curious that no one's grabbed Tova. But yeah, yeah that's um, actually incredible to me. It's incredible to me, and and because um, I I think I read it, yeah, and and. Uh, but Duncan Garner is now writing um, opinion pieces for the NBR. So, you know, gosh, you know, if if someone who has that much trouble with sentences can get work, <laughs> you just think that anybody can, really. That's a little bit, honestly. I, I think the, the other thing alongside that as well, um, just in terms of the media environment, is just you have seen a lot of content creators, I guess, just for a catch-all, um, showing up on TikTok, on Instagram, on YouTube, who are adding extra layers to that environment. And it's allowed... Uh, or it's created an environment where more professionally produced podcasts like The Detail um, or like some of the documentary series um, have already have an audience when they are launched uh, because the populace is, already knows how those things work. Uh, and there are a bunch that are like, pretty good in the left-wing space who are just doing regular stuff um, and add extra context. You, you can go and find... Uh, these different views. You can go and find media analysis from a range of uh, other viewpoints if you want to. Uh, well, I won't talk about one or 200 um, in that sense, but there's also uh, BHN, Big Harry News, who we've talked about previously um, with Pat Brittenden, um, just regularly doing work. Um, and then over on Instagram and TikTok, you've had Aotearoa Liberation League uh, who have been just getting hundreds of thousands of views um, on some of their uh, critical content. So all that stuff is there now, and the, I think the media environment is a lot healthier in that sense too. I think what you need, the reason you need strong and good media companies is that you can't report the powerful on business, on the political elite, without being able to afford good lawyers, or in the case of Nikki Hager, having good lawyers who are prepared to work for free if need be. Um and that's unusual. And so I don't think our media is doing a lot of that, but we do need really strong media companies. And I suspect that we don't really have that, that there are far more business stories that should be told that are simply too costly to tell. Um, and well, I don't know that. the same people. I, I, I do want to be like... There are people involved in media companies who are also involved in other businesses, but just because New Zealand is so small. I'm not saying yeah. it's a conspiracy. It's just this is just how it is. You're not going to go after your boss yeah. um, more often than not. One more for me, then I'll shut up. Um, I just wanted to address the um, old white male elephant in the room um, because – No one can are. see us. No one can see us. But oh, they can yeah. only hear our voices. Who knows? Thank goodness so they are. can't see my tusks. But um, <laughs> we, we have – you know, it, it's um, – there's lots of really interesting stuff coming from women. There's lots of really interesting stuff coming from Māori, from Pacific Island, from migrant communities. These these are, the, and again, don't get the attention, harder to break through, need to be promoted, need to be encouraged. Um, it's just really still so frustrating that that that, that isn't happening. And, um, yeah, it's we, we must be beholden to try and, push that forward although that uh, that said you know stuff's owned by a woman caitlin's editing the post spin-off editors a woman you know so the, the maharanga forbes is doing mahi's doing some 
amazing stuff with her new show. You know, there's there's lots of really good content out there. It just doesn't seem to get the same enhancement that, that other stuff gets. Anyway, that was my white liberal guilt just um, <laughs> coming to the Erupting forth at the end just, of just, the... Just, 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 just so we don't don't get all the people coming after us. We, we're just hanging out. Don't and, worry, we're uh, already cancelled, Mark, so... Um... No, no, that's right. And, and as um, Jeremy reminded me um, the other day with um, talking about our old boss, John Howson, um balance over time. Balance over time. So you don't you don't have to equal everything out in every every show, but you you do have to try and make it better as you go. So, yeah. Next time we do media, uh, neither of you get come on. No, we've had a shot. No, no. <laughs> hey, thank you so much for joining me, both of you. It's been fantastic. Hey, thank you. I was I was a bit rambly, but, oh, well, you can you can chop me out. Yeah, we'll make you sound um, like a professional. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's a great place to end it. Uh, thanks again uh, for coming on to guest today. Uh, and thanks for listening, everyone. If you've enjoyed it, give it a share. Uh, Patreon link's in the summary as usual. Throw us a couple of dollars. Uh, and listen out for us on the weekend when we'll have our regular current events programming. That's been another midweek podcast with 1200. We'll catch you later. If our fitters are denied, live in a pointless life, but I'll let in all your lessons on your politics. There's no distinction, the words are now. And I'll admit that I'm at a loss for what to say When they call this as a cloth you ought to say Cause I live amongst the people every day In this vindictive, forgetful fucking rain It feels like we're on the road to hell